Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. It's me, Chris Denson, uh, here coming at you once again. In case you guys are tuning in for the first time, first of all, shame on you. Secondly, uh, tune in again. But if you are uh, coming in for the first time, this show covers all things marketing, creativity, ideas, innovation, smart people doing smart things. Uh, I don't think it gets any smarter than than the power. Can I call you the power? Sure. Ooh, nice. Uh, Catherine Power, say hello. More people would call me that. <laughs> How are you? They do in their minds. <laughs> they feel it. Um, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, really happy about the weekend. Yes, the weekends are weekends are. Do you have plans for the weekend? Uh, well, I actually have to fly to New York this weekend, so oh. I guess it's not that strong, but. Um, I'll get a good Saturday in, and then on Sunday I'm off to New York for uh, Ad Week. Aha! Yeah. Um, so let, let's let's get into why you would go to <laughs> to an Ad Week. Um, give the audience a little bit of a 101 on on who the power is. Sure. So I am the CEO of a company called Click Media Group. We are a media and commerce com company basically centered around females um, and their lifestyle passion points from fashion to beauty to home decor. Um, and we started about 11 years ago with a website called whowhatwhere.com. Uh, I was formerly uh, the West Coast editor of Elle magazine, and my co-founder was an editor at Elle in New York. And, um, you know, we were in our early 20s while working there, and we were spending all of our time on the computer. It was still very new to, right. to be, you know, spending a bunch of time there. This was before the iPhone, and... Um, uh, Facebook had just started and it was exclusive to college students yep. and MySpace was kind of the social network du jour, although it was very different because people weren't obsessively, you know, spending time on those platforms Do you remember yet. your top eight? Ooh, what a great question. <laughs> like, that'd be a fun, like, quiz to do. Like, who were in your top eight, like, yeah. in MySpace days? Yeah, remember the top eight. Great. That's crazy. <laughs> um, no, well, probably who, what, where, because that's how we started marketing it. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah. And uh, we basically, you know... We, we were so frustrated that we couldn't get the same kind of content we were used to getting in a magazine on the computer now that we were spending all of our time there. And we thought if we're spending our time there, there are other young women who are also doing the same thing. And right. at the time, um, you know, Daily Candy, do you remember Daily no, course, Candy? Yeah, yeah. Um, was reaching s such success and was really the only sort of new media company sure. geared towards females. So we thought, you know, what if we started um, to create fashion content and delivered it in a daily newsletter such you know, similar to Daily Candy, um, and made it shoppable. Because at that time, there were a bunch of e-commerce retailers popping up, but right. no real way to connect the dots um, with the fashion coverage of a print magazine. So we launched our first business, um, and it, everyone thought we were crazy for leaving our glossy magazine jobs yeah. to go to the internet. Um, <laughs> but we did it, and uh, it, it took off very organically. Um, you know, we had this... Um, this very friendly voice where we uh, only had positive things to say. So it was kind of the rise of the gossip blog. Perez Hilton was at his peak and right. um, we had access to all these celebrity images, but the only time you would see them would be in a gossip magazine. So our whole thing was, you know, if we didn't have anything nice to say, we wouldn't say it at all. And because of that very positive spin, a lot of celebrities, um, you know, started following the site and became obsessed with it in a way that they would just start promoting it in the media. Why did you make the decision? Like, what, I mean, it sounds like a very conscious thing. Uh, you know, what was, 
where the deliberateness come from? I think I had a lot of friends that were being written about at the time in the tabloid. So um, it was kind of the, you know, um, the moment of, you know, the Olsen twins and Nicole Richie and, right. um, you know, Jessica Simpson and all these young girls were kind of at their, their prime and they were being recognized for their fashion. And so a lot of people would go to these magazines just to see what these girls were wearing. Um, and I just felt so badly supporting kind of like the, the you know. The trashiness of it. Yeah, the trashiness <laughs> of it. So I wanted to give people a safe place to consume the inspiration, but not the gossip. And I think that was appreciated by that community. And so they kind of just championed the business. Uh, did you guys do anything fun for your 10th anniversary? We did. We did um, a big 10-year anniversary party, and we took over the space on Melrose Place, which is, you know, if you don't know, a trendy uh, street in Los Angeles. Um, and we made kind of a, a, a fashion time capsule, if you will, where you went back and saw kind of a timeline oh, of, cool. of street style. Right. So it was a live exhibit that was open for a few weeks, and then we threw a big party. Uh, so you're in year 11, 2006 to 2017. You, there's a lot of companies that have come and gone in that period of time. Um, what do you think you guys got right? Right, because the technology and the platforms and the delivery and even the audience has changed, you know, a right. lot over that time. But for some reason, you, and not only did you survive, like you've expanded into multiple brands. So, right. and those are equally successful. So, you know, what do you think is, what was the heartbeat that kind of I kept think you it alive? was really the strength of the content and the voice. I mean, we always, you know, say we're content creators. We understand how to reach a certain consumer and the platform really doesn't matter. So as it changes over time, you know, we um, deliver a lot of our content through social media now um, because that's where our consumers are spending most of their time. So I think we, we have strong content and a very strong voice, but we're very good at getting ahead of the changing consumer behavior and kind of meeting them where they are or, you know, kind of showing them where to go next. Uh, that, and that's an important piece. That's a sweet spot of, like, leveraging behavior and changing behavior. Right. Um, what kind of information do you have, <laughs> you know, on, like, on the consumer psychology or just what is it that, you know, yeah. uh, your brand follows? So we're a super data-driven company. I mean, it started very early just on social media and just being able to have a direct conversation with the users and just kind of, you know, starting to see patterns. Now we have a full insights department that looks at everything from, you know, the images they respond to on social media and what conversations are bubbling up there to, um, you know, where they're shopping and what are the price points that are, you know, most successful for any given retailer. I mean, we track the purchases of about 300 different retailers uh, from our community to their store so we can see what people are buying across the board. And we really use that to inform our next steps in the business, whether that be to create a new content site or um, a clothing line. Um, you know, we we have a an apparel business uh, under the Who What Wear brand. It's a clothing line that, it, that is is sold exclusively at Target stores um, in the United States. And that whole line is completely driven by the consumer. So we're looking at, you know, what she wants at any given point in the year, what she's searching for, um, asking her throughout the design process if she likes what we're doing. And then we um, take it and, and design it and sell it back to her. So that's kind of how we look at every product. And that's, a, that's an interesting process, 
right? Because I think a lot of people try to keep their creative close to the vest, especially if it's a product you're going to sell. And like, hey, Absolutely. what do you guys think of this? And then next thing you know, somebody runs off and makes it, it, especially yeah. in fashion, because totally. it's hard to copyright designs, right? So um, how do you, it, it, do you have a fear? Like, what, or where do you where do you get the, the chutzpah? Yeah, to, you know, <laughs> I, I put it out there like that. listen, there's like so many ways to buy, you know, street style fashion these days. We're able to deliver it at a very affordable price um, because of, you know, uh, Target and, and the volume that they're able to drive and the manufacturer that we've chosen. So we we deliver a great value in our product, and we know that's, you know, definitely a, a great proposition for the shopper. But, I mean, um, you know, I think— like, sorry, go back to what no. you were what you originally asked me on because I I got lost. No, just where did you get the? Are you afraid that somebody's gonna like steal your stuff? So I'm when, not afraid, <laughs> but that's actually you know I think to Target's credit, the fact that they would let us you know kind of pull back the curtain on the design process is you know something they've never done before, and I think uh, you know a really big way to show how innovative they are uh, as a retailer. That's great. Um, you were talking about data a minute ago. Yeah. Uh, how do you balance data versus your own gut? Yes. So because it's the data will tell you a bunch of stuff, and you're like, it could be overwhelming. And you're like, oh, no. Well, absolutely. Yeah. It's definitely art and science, and not everything you know that we do is can be completely backed up by data because there is that element of leading people and not just kind of following the trends that we see. So, um, you know, the we collect the data. We make insights out of that. It gets delivered to the appropriate people in the product design process. And then there's also, you know, the expertise that comes with the staff of being able to forecast trends because of their career in watching the trend cycle and kind right. of knowing what's coming next. So we definitely couple the two. Um, I don't think you can have success without one or the other. That's true. Um, so along the same same lines, uh, you've the product lines that you've not just the, the fashion stuff that you've created, but the platforms you've created speak to a lot of different audiences. Maybe it's, it's the same person, but I'm, uh, then that's what I'm curious about. Like, there's a Gen Z product. There's something for millennials. There's some for, if you ball up and you got you know fat pockets, you, can, <laughs> yeah. you know you have something for everybody. But it still sort of has the same look, tone, feel. You know, right? Um, how do you diversify and still keep the brand you know at its core? Yeah. So we aim to hit this consumer throughout the many different stages of her life around her different lifestyle passion points. So from her first mascara to her first mortgage, we kind of uh, have brands that connect with her along the way. Um, however, you know, we still kind of deliver um, and and are consistent with these kind of tasteful tenants that the, the corporate umbrella kind of um, uh, frames for the brands. Um, no, that's cool. And as you've evolved, how much of it was planned evolution versus like, oh, there's something happening. Like we opportunistic. Need to, yes, exactly. Yeah. So I think, you know, we always wanted to, first of all, build a consumer brands company where we had a portfolio of really valuable brands that would create um, media and products for people. And we knew if we wanted to sell products, we needed an audience to sell to. So that was kind of the idea behind creating this, this media business is that we are able to build these communities and then figure out what kind of products they want, 
let that inform the products and then market it back to that community. So, um, you know, it's that was all a plan. However, along the way, as we're looking at our customer and having these conversations with her, we're able to say, okay, now there's a huge, you know, passion around wellness. Um, which led to the launch of our, our wellness vertical, the 30, and then our partnership uh, with Target on a second apparel line um, called Joy Lab that actually comes out next month, and it's all active wear. So we saw, you know, a, a, a rise in kind of the engagement around fitness articles right. on my domain and Birdie, which is our beauty site, as well as like a hundred. How do you remember all these things? You got some, there's like so much going on. I know. Like. Well, we just look at it all and then we kind of see the biggest, you know, patterns or, or, you know, topics that are bubbling up and just simple stuff like the search, searching for leggings on who, what, where went up like 150% from one year to the next. So we kind of watched those trends and then said, you know, Target was also looking for a, an athletic wear um, line to build in-house, and, and we thought, let's do this together and serve the consumer. So some of that is opportunistic, and then other parts of the business, you know, we've kind of thought about throughout the years. Uh, I find like a lot of digitally focused companies uh, never meet customers. Right? Yeah. They've built a platform, they've built a you know a ecosystem, but they don't go and like sit down and right. like shake your hand. Yeah, um, how, is it's that important to where you you know uh, yeah. you guys as a, as a company? It's so important, and you know um, we we've written three books, my partner Hillary and I, over the years, and that's been the best part, and really the reason why we have written the books um, because we get to go around on tours across the country and meet, you know, not only people in our own community that are our customers, but we get to meet people all over the United States. So that's been invaluable. And anytime, you know, we kick off a study around, um, you know, whether it's a potential new line of business or if we're working with one of our, um, you know, marketing or advertising partners and we're doing a big study for them to learn about their consumer, you know, we're putting together folks focus groups in real life and online um, where we're actually asking these questions face to face in some instances. Um, this is a little 101, but as far as like retail as a whole, yeah. you know, there's a lot of push and pull about brick and mortar versus digital versus not right. versus both. And, you know, um, what's your take on the exchange between the two? Because you're doing both, right? You're you're in brick and mortar, right? As, Absolutely. As, as well as, you know, online. And you just launched a, your own shopping platform, right? Um, yes, we, we launched a shopping app for the Who What Wear brand, yeah. So um, where how do you how are you chasing the consumer around to all these different different places? Yeah, so I definitely believe in brick and mortar. Um, even though I spend uh, most of my money online, um, you know, there's something to be said for being able to to go and have an experience while you're shopping. So I think, um, you know, what you're seeing right now is just an evolution in retail. And I think, um, you know, I think about it similarly to what movie theaters went through um, right. maybe seven or 10 years ago when we started to be able to um, watch content in different places. Um, you didn't see every movie theater shutting down. You saw kind of a, a right-sizing of, of real estate when it came to movie theaters and then an enhanced experiences. So now when you go to the movie, you know, you're in a recliner and you're ordering yeah. a drink, right? So there's still a place for a movie theater, but the, the experience has had to evolve. And that's, I think, what we're going through with retail. Um, and, you know, as a business, we've seen so many cool direct-to-consumer e-commerce companies pop up. 
um, that are really sexy and they um, do so many things right from creating a, a very authentic brand to targeting a consumer and tailoring every part of the experience to that consumer. Um, but then they scale to a certain amount of revenue and they can't go beyond that because, you know, you really can't reach that critical mass unless you are leveraging wholesale at some point. And then sometimes those businesses can't because they either haven't worked it into their margins or it's been so, you know, the antithesis of, of their whole, like, vision that they can't go in that direction. So I think, you know, what we would love to do is, you know, bring all the same sensibilities where it's a strong organic brand, we know how to connect with the consumer, we build a community around it, and then really leverage traditional retail um, for the distribution right. and be able to reach as many people as possible. I mean, the Who What Wear brand, for example, is in about 800 Target stores. I mean, you just can't replicate what you get from that foot traffic yeah. um, if we were to launch that brand online. Well, I think that for a lot, there's also like a little bit of cockiness, uh, and maybe rightly or wrongly so, with some digitally focused companies. You know, I was talking sure. to a guy who produces digital content, and he's like, just, you know, foot down, and this is what, like, this is the revolution, and we're leading it. And they're doing well, but. TV's still a massive platform. Yeah, people are still spending, what is it, four to six hours a day on yeah, television? So, exactly. Yeah. So um, so I applaud you for just kind of like being able to navigate the you know the difference yeah. and, and and really turn what could have been a competitor into a collaborator. Right. Um, and I find that even, you know, on your new, uh, on the new shoppable platform you mm -hmm. have, you've got brands who have never gone through third-party you know, right. partners. Uh, kind of walk us through that a little bit. Yeah, that's so, interesting. so earlier this year, we launched uh, Shop Who What Wear, which is Who What Wear's e-commerce app. And um, that's essentially an extension of whowhatwear.com. You know, we saw a lot of our customers going onto the website, searching for products in the search bar, trying to find a specific item because they knew if they saw it on Who What Wear, it would be you know, a great version of whatever that item is, and they would, wouldn't have to go look at six different places. So we created this highly curated app of products um, you know, that includes the retailer feeds and designers from about 40 different retailers. And um, our shoppers can go in there and see kind of like these curated collections or just browse, um, you know, buy item and find products from multiple different retailers and then transact in one simple transaction. Um, so it's just a really seamless way for, for users on their mobile device. You know, so much of our traffic and our shoppers are on mobile, and we really wanted to give them a consistent uh, mobile experience. That's super cool. Um, do you want to do a dance battle? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I probably couldn't take you. Uh, but I am curious. I know you do have a, an extensive background in dance. Uh, yeah. I have a 12-year-old daughter who's, you know, she, she tried. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and, my, and a 4-year-old son who's also... Really, really trying. Okay. Um, but no, like, where do, where does the the psychology of dance or whatever mm -hmm. you've learned as you know in that training pop up in you as a as a businesswoman? Sure. I mean, I was so I was a very serious dancer from the time I was, uh, you know, walking basically uh, until about eighteen you mean years old. Moonwalking um, <laughs> until I was about eighteen years old, and I think you know I was. Um, probably spending more time in dance than I was in school. I was in a performing arts company with a very tough 
leader. Um, and I think it taught several things. One is discipline, just that if you um, continue to put time and energy into something, you know, you, you can improve no matter where you start out. Um, also, I think it taught me resilience. You know, you're um, constantly sort of competing with people or, you know, going up for parts and being rejected or wanting to get in a specific number and not quite being good enough. And, and that's okay. And you learn that that's okay. And if you keep trying, you, you know, you may or may not get in the, that number. Um, and also just fearlessness. So I just, I don't know if it was from performing so much um, or just putting myself out there, but I seem to be missing the gene that tells me I should care what other people think of me. <laughs> so it's kind of a weird thing that's made me very risky in business, which I think has served me well. Um, weirdly not that risky when it comes to my physical being, like I would never jump out of a plane, but right. in business, I will really put myself out there. So has it ever, has that ever backfired? Uh, not that I can think of. Okay. No. All right. No. Kudos. So, All right. Be fearless. Probably, Continue. probably, <laughs> probably better that than, than uh, jumping off of a cliff and having that go wrong. So yeah, It's just higher insurance for you as, yeah. a, as a business person. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I definitely recommend it for your kids because it's, you know. Jumping out of planes? No, no, no. <laughs> no, it, it, I, I mean, I think it's great. And, and uh, you know, I, I find that a lot of, you know, innovators tap into something from right. their childhood. Some kind of focus. Exactly. Or, even, even if it's a negative stimuli. Yeah. Um, but you're able to turn it into something, or it, in your case, it's the, the discipline and just yeah. that, like, the essence of, of fearlessness. Yeah. Um, I read in your bio that you were emancipated at uh, 16. It was, yeah. Um, uh, I, our people were emancipated uh, long before <laughs> you were 16. But, but uh, no, like, what was that like? What went into that decision? And Because I, I think it still speaks to you as a, like, you're going to just go out and, and do sure. things yeah, your way. It was a very, it was a very simple story. Um, it's not as exciting as Macaulay Culkin's or some of those kids whose parents took their money and therefore they had to you know run their own ship but um i it goes back to being a dancer um uh, mike myers came to our dance studio when i was uh, 16 years old and uh was watching our class and chose a bunch of us to be in the movie austin powers and they said you know we want you to be in this movie but the only catch is you have to be able to work as an adult so um, my mother took me through the whole court process of becoming emancipated um, at 16, and so I was able to work, uh, it was right here in the Paramount lot uh, on the movie Austin Powers, and it end up, ended up serving me well because later um, I got a job at Touchstone. I started as an intern uh, when I was 17, and um, I started working for this producer who about two months in um, ended up firing her assistant, and she offered me a, a job as her assistant. Now, I had already blown off college, which is a whole nother story, um, and, and was interning for free Monday through Friday you did everything all day. every parent fears. Exactly, like. <laughs> but I landed on my feet. Um, and she offered me the job, and I said, oh, my God, I, you know, this is a dream, but I'm not even 18. I, I you know, I, I, I don't even know if I can work here. And then it occurred to me I had been emancipated to do Austin Powers, so I was able to take this job, and I was the youngest employee at, at Disney, which owned Touchstone at, at the time, except for, like, the child actors. So it was, uh, it was funny how that worked out. And then ever since then, no turning back. I just continued to work. That's great. Um, as uh, as you evolved, um, and you know, this became who, what, where, and click became sort of the the baby. Was there ever uh, a hurdle 
that you faced, and if so, what was it? Like, what was was there a time of doubt? Where you're like, ah, just you know, the right thing. You know, you, it's funny. Um, you go through so many different waves of emotion as an entrepreneur, and you go through ups and downs, and learning about finances, and almost running out of money, and then making so much money you don't know how you know what to do with it. And I think um, it's. Uh, it's it's such an emotional roller coaster. There's always hurdles. I think um, I've had a great partnership with with my co-founder Hillary. That's one hurdle we didn't have to overcome. I know a lot of people have had sort of bad partnerships, but um, you know, just learning how to run a business and and raise money is such a it's a it's a hurdle in but also a great experience. It teaches you a lot about yourself. But you know, it's a process you're going through where you're you're going out and you're meeting people and you're convincing him that your business is great and you're like my business is great I don't even care what you think but I have to convince you of this yeah. and then you go around telling people this for so long and then all of a sudden you're like wait my business is great right so you start to <laughs> kind of like doubt yourself it's like going around and trying to convince someone your kid's cute right you're like uh, yes. I know my kid's cute but I got we hope. we hope and then you're like wait is my kid right should I be so um that that's uh always a challenge um but we you know we've always uh worked it out and uh and yeah we continue to face hurdles but I think that's like what's exciting about it um why is fashion important to you Fashion is so important because it articulates who you are before you even open your mouth. So I know it seems like a superficial, um, you know, part of life, but it honestly, I think if you feel put together, you are more confident and, and that doesn't have to mean you're wearing the most expensive things or the latest trends. It's really just putting on something that makes you feel like the best version of yourself. Um, speaking of trends, so I watched this uh, documentary on Netflix about like the evolution of fashion and hip hop. Okay. And they were talking about all the different eras and even like the consumer psychology from yeah. the 60s through now. But one of the things that kind of blew my mind was, all right, you had, you know, Sean John and you had all mm -hmm. these other like, you know, similar brands. Uh, and then maybe uh, probably around the same time you started your business, the internet changed what we discovered. Yep. And so you no longer were brands as important as it was like the individual look. Like yeah. you pick out uh, something from Paris and right. Watts, and like you you have a really you know interesting look put together. It, and I don't know if I have a question there, but I thought it was an interesting. Yeah, thing I mean, to bring absolutely. Up with you. That's what we started to notice around the time that we created our first brand, Who What Wear, because all of a sudden, like. Like you went from a time where the big fashion houses were kind of dictating what people would wear, right? So it's like Chanel would would show you, and then Anna Wintour would tell you, and then um, you got to a place where you had the internet, and then all of a sudden you were getting inspiration from everyone, from Mary Kate Olsen to you know a random blogger in you know Sweden that was wearing something in a really cool way, or all of the you know British girls that were in the music scene and. Um, you know, we were able to to share that with a broad audience because of the internet, and then you start to collect inspiration from different places, and um, fashion just got a lot more interesting. And then you started to be able to buy it from a lot more places where you usually could only go to like a big city and then, you know, find a mall and get the best stuff. But at that time, you were starting to be able to buy things online no matter where you lived. For me, it was Z Cavarici. Yeah. I don't wear Zika. <laughs> I did wear Jabot, though. That was kind of my... It wasn't quite embarrassing. It was... It was, it was a, I want to watch that um, documentary, though. That sounds interesting. Oh, yeah. It's great. Uh, like, I, uh, you know, I'm not... 
People are like, you gotta watch this documentary. There's so many documentaries to watch. Was just right. that one. I was like, okay, I, that one I'll do. I, okay, I don't care about whales and, and food. Um, so uh, as we wind down a little bit, um, one thing as you did evolve, uh, technology obviously has changed. Yeah. You know, things became shoppable. There's shoppable video. There's VR. There's AR. Right. There's R and R. Like there's all yeah. all this stuff. How, how do you filter out what you don't want to do, right? Because right. there's so many opportunities, and you're like, oh, we should, maybe we should put people in a virtual shopping room, which hey, falls flat unless, you, unless you've done that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you have to know what you're great at, your core competencies, and then you have to know what are you um, most capable of given your market position. So, you know, we look at what we have, where we are with our brands, how many consumers we have, what they're interested in, and we kind of use that to inform our next steps. And then, you know, we've always been a very, um, our, uh, our company is, culture is very scrappy. So we, you know, test everything in small increments before we commit. So, um, you know, as to not uh, make a huge investment um, on something that may not pan out. So a lot of times we're kind of watching the market to see, you know, what's working and what's not, or testing a little bit internally um, to see if if we can make money off of it uh, before making a big bet. So like with with uh, VR and AR and all of that stuff, you know, we um, are just constantly meeting different partners and seeing, you know, how is the execution? How can the consumer really engage? And if we see something really compelling, we'll try it. But otherwise, we kind of stick to our um, core competencies. Yeah. Uh, and then across all your platforms, it, I mean, it, you know, there's always a difference between technology and actual storytelling. Like, you kind of to your point, like, yeah. what is, who are you at the core? And does this accent who you are? Or can it be leveraged to accent who you are? Right. Um, how important is storytelling for Click as a brand and, you know, all the brands in the, in the umbrella? Yeah, I mean, you, you have to be able to tell a story as a brand, first and foremost, like aside from the content that, you know, and the stories that right. we're creating online, um, because that's how you're going to most authentically connect to the consumer. Um, and just, you know, really understanding who you're talking to is kind of the first, you know, the first goal. Yeah, no, I did. I did stand up comedy for a few years, and it was. And I think it was a great training ground for exactly that, though. Is you know who you're talking to, right? And audience may change from you know city one to uh, city, seven to nine, to yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like, all right, I have to feel this room out. And then if you're an entrepreneur, you're pitching a business, and right. you're pitching to an investor, and that one investor sleepy, the other ones, yeah. you know, kind of uh, joyful. So uh, I don't know what room that was. I just made it up. But <laughs> <laughs> last but not least, uh, complete this phrase for me. Okay. Innovation to me is thinking ahead. Nice and succinct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where can people find out more about you, about the portfolio of brands, and all the the wonderful things um, that that are Catherine Power and, and Click? Uh, they can go to cmginc.com. <laughs> it is right. Okay. Thank you, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> you got a lot of stuff on your mind. We look at all the stuff we just talked about. I like, trust me, I have a dozen more questions. I was like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll leave her alone for, <laughs> for a little while. Come on. Uh, <laughs> um, everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush. And CMG, what? What is? What's it? What? CMG Inc. CMG Inc. We got it. Uh, we will talk to you next time. Thank you Thank so much you. for joining us. I'm not